0: Is nothing like the sound of a tarab orchestra from zanzibar you know east africa's swahili coast is truly unique a place where africans arabs europeans and asians all have a place in local history the coastal towns of today's kenya and tanzania have been home to farmers and fishermen sultans and soldiers tyrants and visionaries faithful lovers and scurrilous cheaters and all that and more lives on in the amazing musical legacy that is Tarab. Hello, Georges Collinet with you on Afro Pop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. Today's hip tip edition: East African Tarab. We're listening to Culture Musical Club, one of the great surviving Tarab orchestras of Zanzibar. When Culture made this recording in 1988, the group was already 30 years old. That's young compared with their rival Ikwani Safa Musical Club, which celebrated its 100th anniversary. That's right. This group formed in 1905. Believe it or not, that's 27 years before the London Philharmonic. Tarab music has survived Arab, Portuguese, German and British colonial rule in East Africa, as well as nationalism, socialism and today's multi-party democracies. Tadab existed before the birth of Um Qawthum, and it lives on in the age of hip-hop. On today's program, our guest is anthropologist and musician Kelly Askew. Kelly is a professor at the University of Michigan and author of a terrific book called Performing the Nation, Swahili Music and Cultural Politics in Tanzania. Kelly, welcome aboard.
1: Thank you, George. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: One thing we'd better clear up right away is this word, *tarab*. It comes from Arabic. But Kelly points out that it has a particular meaning in East Africa.
1: The word itself means to move the heart. It means to feel feelings of rapture or ecstasy, and it's often used as an adjective in describing other kinds of music outside of the East African phenomenon. When you speak about um, Middle Eastern music, people can talk about it as having evoked Tarab in them or being a very great example of Tarab. Um, But when we speak about Tarab in the context of East Africa, we're speaking about a very specific form of sung Swahili poetry that emerged at some point in the 19th century and um, became very, very popular in the 20th century.
0: Well, we are going to dig into that history, but first, let's listen to a Tarap song from Tanga. That's the coastal town in northern Tanzania where Kelly did her field work in the early 90s. Tarab composers have long used their words to negotiate personal, social, and even political disputes. This song, Kubwa Lao, or the toughest one, is a direct challenge to a foe. It's an unpolished local recording performed in the Tanga style, which uses African rather than Arabic rhythms and Western instruments. The group is Babloom Modern Tarab. And by the way, Kelly performed in this band as a keyboardist and singer during her stay there. Here she is to translate the opening lines, a mix of Swahili and English.
1: Nimeshaji prepare, Ya yaleo, Tena Niko so sure, Vishindo Hapa ni uwanjo metulia ainuke kupa and what he says is, I have already prepared myself for today's event, and I'm sure all challenges end here with me. The floor has cleared, let the toughest ones stand up. And the chorus to the song says, For calmness I have no match, yet for evil I am number one.
2: Kesho huli leo Ni meshajitipea Kwenye shughuli ya leo Ni nali kwa sasa Bishindo hapa ni ndoa pa ni kwa uwanja umetulia inuke kubwa nao uwanja umetulia inuke kubwa nao kwa mtu ambaye usipati kivani na kwa ubumi na mbawa I think it's fine. I want
0: and tarab from tanga tanzania on afropop worldwide's hip deep george collinet here and today we are digging into the history of east african tarab music with our guest author kelly askew major support for afropop worldwide comes from the national endowment for the humanities and the national endowment for the arts Okay, time once again to fire up the Wayback Machine. Long before Arabs and Europeans arrived in East Africa, the migrating Bantu people swept through the region. Many of Tanzania's 120 ethnic groups traced their origins to the ancient Bantu. Those are my ancestors too, by the way. Eventually, people living on the coast met up with Arab traders and they evolved their own language and culture. These people became the Zanj or Azanians, although today we call them Swahili, coming from the Arabic word Sawahil, which means margin or coast. Kelly says that when the sails of Arab ships first appeared on the Indian ocean horizon, the Zanj or Swahili were already well-established.
1: The Swahili have been documented for at least 2,000 years, if not more. Some archaeological evidence implies that there were coastal communities going back possibly as, as many as three to 4,000 years ago. And then Arabs started making their appearance in the area soon after uh, the death of the Prophet Muhammad, coming down to proselytize to convert people to Islam. And then the Portuguese appeared with Vasco da Gama in the late 1400s, only to be supplanted ultimately by Oman, and then Germany, and then England
0: get all that? Well, if not, visit our website afropop.org to read our complete interview with Kelly Eskew. Now, Kelly, tell us what all this has to do with Tarab.
1: The history of Tarab officially begins in the reign of Sultan Bargash of Zanzibar. Now, how did Zanzibar end up with sultans? I, I mentioned briefly that Oman came in as a colonial force They routed out the Portuguese from East Africa. When people from East Africa went to Oman and asked for assistance, they didn't like being under Portuguese rule. The Sultan of Oman, a man named Said Said, he derived a lot of his wealth already from the ocean networks and the ship traveled back and forth between East Africa and the Middle East and South Asia by that point africa was a major supplier of not only ivory but gold and rhinoceros horns and ambergris um, precious luxury goods he realized at some point in the early 1800s that he had to go and protect the trade routes and being off on the tip of the persian gulf it was quite far from where the action was and he, he could be encroached upon by other powers so he picked up his entire retinue of his court and moved everybody to Zanzibar sometime in the 1830s.
0: Saïd Saïd became the first sultan of Zanzibar and his power spread to the African mainland.
1: Sultan Saïd bin Saïd really was able to build up the economic power of Zanzibar such that they used to say when the pipes play in Zanzibar people dance at the lakes, meaning Lake Victoria and Lake Tanganyika all the way across on the other side of East Africa. Um, Sultan Saïd introduced plantation agriculture and developed the clove industry in Zanzibar, which became its prime product for a hundred years or more, and really developed Zanzibar into this huge economic force.
0: Well, the Sultan had many concubines and many children, and when he died, his sons fought over his throne.
1: One of the sons that came to power was a man named Now, He did not immediately succeed his father. In fact, he tried to, but was usurped um, by another brother, and sent off into exile for having attempted to take the throne by force. So when he was in exile he spent quite a bit of time in India and traveling the world and decided that when he would return to Zanzibar that he would develop a court life like that that he'd found elsewhere, a major component of which is music. So when he became sultan in the 1880s he brought musicians from Egypt for his court and he also sent musicians to be trained in Egypt and he ordered instruments, and he created pretty much an Egyptian court music transplanted into Zanzibar. However, that didn't last very long, and over time the music became very much indigenized. Instead of singing in Arabic, people started to sing in Swahili, instead of using exclusively Arabic rhythms, and the makamat, the modal system found in Middle Eastern music, they started incorporating African rhythms. And also a lot of Western rhythms—fox um, trots, waltzes, uh, cha-cha. Um, this, in the early 1900s, these were the popular rhythms in Tarab music. <laughs>
0: That's Abbasim Ze singing with the Egyptian Musical Club, an early Tarab ensemble from Dar es Salaam. Without a doubt, the most important figure in Tarab's early history was a singer from Ngambo, a poor suburb of Stone Town, Zanzibar. Siti Binti Saad was born in the mid 1880s to a family marked by a history of slavery. She had no social standing and no education to speak of. But with determination, creativity and a spectacular voice, she made it all the way to Bombay to record the first tarab singles in 1928. Siti became the most popular singer in the region, and as one observer put it, she captivated wealthy Zanzibaris and they became her slaves. Kelly Askew says Siti Binti Saad brought tarab from the court to the people. You might say she Africanized it.
1: She Africanized it because although at the time she was one of the very first women taken in to sing for the sultan, Sultan Bargash, instead of only singing it as the Egyptian musicians before her had done in Arabic, she started singing in Swahili. And she also started singing it outside the palace walls. There was actually a rule prohibiting the performance of Tarab outside of the palace, but it nevertheless was done and she was... Her house was one place where people gathered to listen to Tarab and on-the-spot improvisation of Swahili lyrics to comment on whatever was happening of importance in the neighborhood or in the court, to talk about political matters, one could do that through Tarab and do it in such a way that you camouflage what it was that you were really talking about.
0: City songs attacked social injustices, especially the unfair treatment of women. Using sly metaphors, she rebuked the sultan's harsh laws, and later the British colonial courts. As important and popular as it was, very little of Siti Bintisad's music is currently available. In fact, we found just one song, but man, it's a beauty, a greeting to a lover. Kidumbak Kalsha from the impoverished neighborhood of Ngambo, also known as the other side of Zanzibar. And before that, Siti Binti Sad, who also lived in Ngambo, although almost a hundred years earlier. Kidumbak is a stripped-down, mostly rural take on tarab, usually featuring a pair of violins, hand drums, and one or more singers. In the Zanzibar hinterlands, this music can really hit up creating an atmosphere more like a Congolese nightclub than a sultan's court. CSQ thinks Kidumbak-like music may have preceded the grand Tarab orchestras of Zanzibar's golden age. The musicians the Sultan brought from Egypt get all the attention, but from Kelly, Kidumbak hints at another hidden history of Tarab.
1: Tarab often gets overlooked for the way in which it developed on the coast, um, not only in Zanzibar, on the island, in the Sultan's palaces, but just through ordinary interactions between musicians on boats who came in through these Indian Ocean networks meeting up on the docks and sharing musical ideas back and forth, and through those interactions, those very unrecorded, undocumented interchanges, you had something else emerging that was very much syncretic from the get-go, as opposed to the really imposed uh, Middle Eastern sound.
0: When Afropop Worldwide visited Zanzibar in 2004, we sampled many kinds of Tarab music, but the greatest treat of all was visiting the island's largest surviving orchestra, Culture Musical Club, at their headquarters. On a sultry evening, some 14 musicians and 12 singers, and that's not the whole group, gathered to rehearse a program that included both Classic Tarab and Kidumbak. We recorded some beautiful music that evening. Here's a taste. Culture Musical Club, rehearsing in Stone Town, Zanzibar. Recorded by Afropop Worldwide for this program, East African Tarab. I'm Georges Collinet. The group's chairman and spokesman, Mohamed Ahmed, told us that culture was formed in 1958 as an organ of the local Afro-Shirazi political party. The group has seen a lot of change. The switch from political to social songs, the rise of Kidumbak, and now modern Tarab. That's the style popular with kids these days. And it uses drum machines and keyboards in place of all these instruments. Modern Tarab has all but put groups like Culture Musical Club out of business. But Ahmed says his group is hanging on despite hard times.
3: Now these uh, African beats are more popular than the Egyptian style. Personally, I started singing in 1959. I was too young then, still in school. At that time, people, when they came to the Tara, they all said, and listen, nobody comes you there even to give you money. They just listen." And ladies were at the periphery. It looked like immoral for a woman to come there and play. But now everything has changed. Now they want to dance, especially the young women. All women still, every time they insist, please, 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 don't change the taram this modern tarab is not good, and so on, they like to... Still, they like this type of tarab, where they can sit and really listen to the words. But nowadays, if you go to the modern tarab, I'm sure you won't hear a word, because uh, the words are forced in to suit the music, just beats and beats. not poetry as organized in the real sense of the poetry. So nowadays, I can say time is changing with the introduction of uh, guitars and keyboards. Now you can find even a woman in, coming from therapy sweating. During the past, no, people come there to relax, just listening. That's the main difference now.
0: Another difference Mohammed sees in Zanzibar is the small but growing presence of religious conservatives who object to popular music in all forms.
3: The fundamentalists, even when they pray, uh, when they preach in the mosques, they curse us. Oh, yes. They say we are doing wrong things. It's immoral. But we argue with them. Why is it moral? They say, oh, you mix males and females. That's not good, things like that. I always argue, I say, where did this Islam, did it come this year or last year? Islam is there for generations. There's no problem. So now why suddenly this concept of uh, music is immoral? I would not uh, be surprised if one day I come here and find our building is Bombed with the is yes, we are worried. But thank God, the public majority, living apart these few fundamentalists, the majority still find it is there's nothing wrong with the music. Just now, if you go around this way, you find it, all the halls today. There's music being played. Zanzibar
0: is mostly Muslim, whereas mainland Tanzania is mostly Christian. This is one reason that Tarab music has had quite a different history in Dar es Salaam, Tonga and also in Mombasa, Kenya. More on that coming up. But first, we can't leave Zanzibar without a word about the living legend that is Bikidu Day. Over 90 years old, Biki Dude singing in Arabic. The so-called Little Granny of Zanzibar began singing as a girl, pretending to sleep outside the doorway in the room where Siti Binti Saad was rehearsing with her group. As we heard in another program, Biki Dude also performs Ngoma music. Her specialty is songs that teach young brides how to handle married life, particularly in the bedroom but she still performs Tarab and we leave Zanzibar with the taste of Biki Day performing with a small Tarab ensemble called Twinkling Stars Why
2: mani, why mani Why
4: mani, why mani Why mani, why mani I need a
0: Bars, Beaky Today with Twinkling Stars. Remember, you can read more about Tarab, including our complete interview with author Kelly Eskew, on our website, afropop.org. I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. As Tanzania moved towards independence in the 1950s, nationalist leaders looked for ways to rally people of different backgrounds together. The Swahili identity helped because although many people spoke key Swahili, they preferred to label themselves using more local ethnic identities, such as Sukuma, Nyamwezi, or Chaga. Kelly Askew says the Swahili had a bad reputation because of their history as middlemen in trade negotiations, They talked with both sides, but were not fully trusted by either. So, because nobody wanted to be called a Swahili, the tag was up for grabs, available to all.
1: The language is the key element, because by that point, due to the caravan routes, due to the the importance of the Swahili middlemen in those routes, um, the the language, key Swahili, had spread far and wide, up and down the coast. So you had this national language essentially already in use that was far beyond any one ethnic area that would be usable for nationalist unifying purposes when you're a new country that's just come out of this difficult colonial history and you've got 120 different ethnic groups that you've got to convince that they belong to something bigger than themselves.
0: President Julius Nyerere proclaimed, I am a Swahili. In fact, he was not at all. But politically, this was a masterstroke. Nobody could accuse him of playing favorites among ethnic groups, and before long, Tanzanians of all stripes joined together under the Swahili banner. When it came to culture and music, though, it was another story. In addition to Tarab, there was Ngoma, that's indigenous music and dance, village culture, and also the urban electric music called Dansi. When it came to music, The nationalists chose favorites.
1: The way in which the government of Tanzania approached culture changed over time. In the nationalist period, which would be 1954 to 1967, so that would be the period leading up to independence and immediately thereafter, before the introduction of the Arusha Declaration, which introduced socialism. During that period, the two forms of music that were privileged were dancing and Ngoma. Dancing much more so. Dancy was this urban, popular music that one found in the bars. It had a lot of influences from not only Congolese music, but Cuban music and Western swing. So, foxtrot, cha-cha, these were the beats that were very popular in Dancy at the time. And because this was the music that was danced to by the colonial elite, it also became the music danced to by the African elite, who were aspiring to be their own leaders.
0: After independence, though, then-President Julius Nyerere gave Dancy a second look.
1: Immediately after independence, however, the first president of Tanzania was Julius Nyerere, and he said, we don't want to be black Europeans. We want to be ourselves. We want to be Tanzanians. So suddenly Ngoma became more important than Dancy at that point, point. and Ngoma, the traditional dance forms were was sort of a turning the eye inward toward the roots and trying to celebrate that which had been denigrated by the colonial order. So the colonial order really thought of Ngoma as incessant drum music that didn't have much meaning. And now finding beauty in that, finding that to be a source of pride, was very important for the new nationalist government in the early 60s.
0: Tadab, too, would eventually have its moment of official favor, But up until 1992, tarab like Dansi, was seen by Tanzanian officials as tainted by foreign influence. Of course, that didn't stop ordinary people from loving it. As Kelly Askew learned during the years she lived in Tanga, Kelly found that music provided a platform where people played out rivalries, personal and otherwise. The Swahili love competition. Where towns elsewhere might have one soccer team, one traditional music troupe, one mosque, and one dance band. In Swahili towns, well, there are always two, and everybody becomes a diehard fan of one or the other.
1: This goes back even into the spatial organization of the villages and towns along the Swahili coast, which were often divided into two halves um, that in anthropological terms are called moieties. There would be a spatial division between the town, and, but it would often take on much more symbolic meaning in terms of newcomers versus old-timers, um... Long-standing, freeborn people versus people of more slave ancestry. These are the ways in which these dualisms could play out.
0: In the 50s, all of Tonga was riveted by the rivalry between two women's Ngoma troops, named after soft drinks, Fanta and Canada Dry.
1: These two sodas had just been recently introduced, and because there were two of them, the local women's groups decided to take on new names and named themselves after the sodas. So these women's Ngoma groups started to put on performances insulting each other on the basis of their various qualities, the number one being um, membership in the wrong group. So the phantom people would sing songs against the Canada Dry people and the reverse would be true as well.
0: In the 70s, it was Tarap's turn. And the two groups everyone in Tonga was talking about were Black Star and Lucky Star Tarap. Unlike Tarab orchestras in Zanzibar, these groups got no help from local government. They were smaller and relied more on Western instruments. Tonga's Tarab bands brought in dancey rhythms and aesthetics, emphasizing the music's local character.
1: Black Star Musical Club developed a rivalry with a group that broke off from it called Lucky Star Musical Club. Throughout the 1970s and into the 1980s these two bands warred with each other by singing songs about each other but always through the employ of metaphor. Uh, They would very rarely sing direct insults towards each other. Uh, Tara, the poetic form is well known for its use of innuendo and metaphor and multiple layers of meaning to comment on social life. One of the first songs directed against Lucky Star by Black Star was the song Nasi Mkinda, which means young coconut palm. The song describes a young coconut palm, the height of which is the important part. Walinda wewe walinda, mali inatekatea, nazi wako mkinda, werevu wao chezea. Kwahila wa kushinda, wevi hao wa It says, you protect yourself, yet your wealth is destroyed. Your young coconut palm wily people toy with it. They beat you in cunning, those thieves who desire it." And what it was referring to was the fact that because the coconut palm is still young and short, people can come up very easily and steal the coconuts off of it. And this was a very oblique way of talking about a woman whose fruits are easily taken by others, meaning that she's more loose and promiscuous. The implication was that Black Star was singing this song, directing it towards Lucky Star's key singer, which was a woman named Shakila, and that she happens to be rather short. Now Lucky Star didn't take this lying down, no, and their response was a song called Kitumbiri. Kitumbiri didn't insult a particular person per se within Black Star, but tried to talk about bigger issues, saying that Black Star shouldn't be jealous of having Lucky Star also on the scene. They shouldn't try to be greedy and take all the Tarab success in this one city of Tanga for itself, that there could be more than one Tarab group there. So Kitumbiri, the song Monkey, says, Even you, monkey, favored monkey, you thought yourself so great, wanting to uproot trees, when in fact you are incapable of breaking branches. Goodbye, favored monkey, I think you are confused if you come looking for a fight. If the mighty tree falls on you, you will be injured. And the refrain that's repeated after each verse says, Favored monkey, you eat at your home and then come to eat again at ours. So this was saying that, you know, you have your success, you have your fans. There's no need why you have to also try to steal our fans and steal our success. We can have ours. Don't be greedy.
4: (laughs) ¶¶ Tony. Um, <laughs> janiwa kama ujile kwa shari na umegumia utaipata adhari utaipata adhari utaipata adhari jitiliki kwangu kia tumi ri majalia
1: tumi ri
0: Lucky Star Tarab talking back to rivals in Black Star Tarab by comparing the band to a greedy monkey. Kelly says people really ate this stuff up.
1: Oh, they loved it. Yeah, in the 70s and 80s, Black Star and Lucky Star, not only in tanga, it went far beyond that because they were also recorded by studios not too far away in Mombasa, Kenya, just across the border.
0: Speaking of Kenya, the Tarrap scene in Mombasa is a world unto itself. From the virtuoso wood improvisations of pioneering band leader Zayn Labdin to the lyrical melodies of veteran vocalists Zura Swale and Maolidi Juma with his musical party, Mombasa's tarab tradition is rich. For decades, the Mombasa public has been crazy about Bollywood and the melodies and flavors of Hindi films have influenced the local tarab. That's Zuhura Swalé in the 1970s recording with Zane Labdin's group. Zuhura made a fantastic record for the Globe Style label in 1992. The main venue for Tarab in Mombasa is weddings. And just as in Tanzanian Tarab, metaphors, hidden messages and challenges are all part of the picture. In this song, Kisuchako, or Your Knife, Zuhura sings, Whenever you see me, you think it's necessary to get hold of me. But your knife does not get at me. That's beautiful, the sensational voice of Zuhura Swale, backed here by Maoledi Musical Party, longtime favorites on the Mombasa wedding circuit. Afropop Worldwide met up with Maoledi Juma and his core musicians on tour in Zanzibar in 2004, and they demonstrated their instruments for us. Most unusual of all is the taishkota, a string instrument played with what looked like typewriter keys. The taishkota came to Kenya, from Japan, by way of India. Maulidi Musical Party's signature sound also comes from India. That's the organ-like harmonium. The group gave us a private performance of the song Nyeri Nishinai, the testimony of a man determined to stay with his girlfriend no matter how many problems she gives him. Ah! Mombasa's Maolidi Juma and Party, recorded by Afropop Worldwide in Zanzibar. You know, they say Zanzibar's Tarab is closest to Arab music, while Mombasa's is closer to Indian film. But as we leave Kenya, check out Woodmaster Zain Labdin. I tell you, for my money, no Tarab musician captures the soul of Arabic music like this guy does. Dean Swahili Oud Virtuoso from Mombasa, Kenya, on Afropop Worldwide's Hip Deep Edition, East African Tata. Funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes that a great nation deserves great art. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Alright, let's come back to Tanzania, where Kelly Eskew did her fieldwork. I mentioned earlier that Tarab did finally achieve government support in Tanzania, and that happened in 1992, after the country abandoned socialism and was moving toward multi-party democracy. East Africa had seen hard times in the 80s, and the ruling party needed to find creative ways to inspire potential voters. Here's Kelly Eskew.
1: So one of the things they did was in 1992 was to create a brand new cultural troupe called TOT, Tanzania One Theater. And the main attraction for this troupe would be the Tarab. This was pretty interesting a development because although there had been some government support for Tarab groups, it was really minimal compared to the amount of government support for, say, Ngoma. That got a lot of government support because it was seen as very indigenous, very authentic. Whereas Tarab was problematic in that it sounded mixed, as it is. So this taught this Tanzania 1 theater, was something quite new in terms of cultural policy. And it burst onto the scene after the government had laid all these rumors in the press about how something new was coming and it was being hidden and sequestered in the army barracks in Bagamoyo and this was their new weapon. And it turned out it was this Tarab group.
0: Another unusual thing about the ruling party's secret weapon was the group's racist songs. Now, keep in mind, this is a government with strict censorship rules, ever on the lookout for a sexual innuendo that might creep over the line. All of a sudden, they threw caution to the wind, In classic tarab, sexual references are concealed in metaphors known as mafumbo. But Tot wasn't satisfied with that.
1: Although there are still some songs with mafumbo, there was a lot more directness and some people would even say matusi, which means profanity. The first big hit of Tot was a song called Nguiji, and Nguiji means high-class prostitute. The song lyrics say, a prostitute puts on airs, for what does she put on airs? She also boasts, of what can she boast? even if she puts on makeup who will want her, you, prostitute, don't include yourself in the group, meaning in our group. To be able to sing about prostitutes in so bald a fashion by the government troupe was considered rather shocking but exciting at the same time. It really broke new ground in terms of Tara performance, because once the government could do it, then of course others could be equally bald in their references.
0: At a Tara performance, audience members, especially women, use the act of tipping to send messages, even challenges, to others in the audience. Everything depends on the moment the tip occurs, maybe a glance or gesture on the part of the tipper. The effect can be devastating. But to understand, you have to follow the words closely and be up to date on the local gossip. And sometimes, lives are changed in the process.
1: For instance, there's a case of a wife of a Tarab singer who had heard rumors about her husband's wandering ways and left him. The town knew about this, life went on, but eventually the time came when he and his band performed in town and his wife came to the performance. And during a song that's called Jamvi Lawageni, which means the visitor's mat, she came up to tip. The song says, Truly I believe that a person's character is revealed through their behavior. I never would have believed it. I, your friend, was taken by surprise. In fact, he is a visitor's mat on which many have taken rest. He considered me a dupe, the world's biggest fool. He could not get used to being inside. He went seeking out others to sit on. I've had enough of him, my friends. So this wife went up and tipped her husband during this song. She didn't even look at him, but because everyone knew the gossip, it was recognized that she was sending a message to him. And then soon after that, a lot of the negotiations between his family and her family picked up, and a lot of pressure was put on them to reconcile, and in the end they did.
3: (laughs) ¶¶
0: In her wonderful book, Performing the Nation, Kelly argues that music has served Tanzania well. For all its troubled history, this is a country at peace with itself, and its intense attention to culture, including music, is one reason.
1: Some people think that The attempts to institute socialism in Tanzania mark it as one of the failures of African history. But in fact, Tanzania was one of many countries that were suffering in the 1980s across Africa, irrespective of political and economic platform. Nevertheless, in terms of culture and in terms of national unity, one cannot say that Tanzania is a failure. Tanzania is, in fact, a great success story in that respect because it managed to unite 120 different ethnic groups into something that is really remarkably strong as a nation, especially when compared to some of its neighbors. By and large, Tanzania has not been plagued by ethnic conflict, and some of that can be attributed to the policies of Julius Nyerere and his attempts to really put culture and the arts at the forefront and support them in ways and draw attention and conscientize people into thinking of themselves as Tanzanian having this shared culture, having this shared language and having a shared musical tradition. <laughs> When Julius Nyerere died in October of 1999, just about every kind of music put forth songs honoring his life and his accomplishments. They were called Nimbo ya Mambolezo, lament songs. Hundreds of bands turned out and composed these songs honoring him. And that's one example of how music shows the national unity that Tanzania has managed to create.
0: That's inspiring. Kelly, thank you so much for sharing your work with us today.
1: Thank you, George. It's been an honor and a pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks also to our friend Werner Grebner. Werner, you're the best friend East African musicians have in this world. God bless you. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and co-production for this program by Banning Air. Banning also edits our website, afropop.org. Where you'll find lots more information about Tarab music. Our chief audio engineer is Mike Jones, and Mike Kaplan is the engineer who records yours truly, Georges Colinet.
2: <laughs>